If you're visiting with us, uh, I want to welcome you. My name is Dave. If you're joining us online or in person, this is your first time. Please uh, make, make sure that you pick up your coffee mug full of goodies. That is for you. Uh, we want you to have them. We want you to take them home. They're not doing any good sitting back there at the coffee place. So make sure that you, uh, you get one of those. It's our gift to you. Um, but I have to confess something to you guys. Um, this passage of Scripture today is something that, that uh, is troublesome to me. I don't, uh, I don't like it. It uh, doesn't mean I don't love it. doesn't mean I don't think it's right. It's just I don't, I, I don't like what it's telling me because, guys, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a pastor first. I'm a Christian first. I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, I don't have a different Holy Spirit than you. I don't have a direct phone line to God in my office as much as some people would like to believe that. I don't. And so the first person that needs to live out the teaching of Jesus is me. I, I have to do this um, along with you, and this passage today is very troubling to me, it's very difficult to me, and I have to confess that I am still trying to figure it out, you all. I don't know what, I thought I had it figured out, but I don't. And so um, you're going to hear, uh, for the first time maybe, um, me kind of struggle up here. Um, this is what I believe to be Jesus' most difficult teaching. Um, I've seen it misused. Um, I've tried to live it out and have it blow up in my face. Um, and so, guys, I am wrestling with this today. And so I'm just going to kind of invite you guys into that, and I hope that it works for you. Um, this is, like I said, the most difficult teaching Jesus ever gave, in my opinion. The main thing is it's the greatest faith you'll ever demonstrate is treating your enemies like God treats his. Uh, when I, when I uh, read this passage in preaching day, like I said, I, you, you got to be kidding me. I said, preach this message to a country as divided as us with, with enemies, with evil that I see uh, all around me, uh, with people with agendas for our children, uh, agendas for, for us, agendas for pe- that, that do not have our children or our best interests at heart, um, looking at the, the uh, especially being an election year, and I get to preach this. This is, this is, this is really tough, and I, I found... An Irish proverb about this it said, "May those that love us love us, and those that don't love us may God turn their hearts. And if He doesn't turn their hearts, may He turn their ankles, so we'll know them by their limping." I like that. I like that. Okay. Uh, but Luke chapter six, verse twenty-seven to thirty-six, Jesus says this. He's speaking to you and me when He says this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks you, everyone who asks you, and, do not, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expect to be, expect to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So we are dropped, So Jesus drops a command on us that is impossible to live out. To love your enemies, do good to those that hate you. Okay? In your own flesh, in your own power, you cannot do this. 
because I've tried. You know what happens whenever I do good to people that hate me? It encourages them. I get more of it. If, if I bless people who curse me, they just curse me more. If I give to people who, who, don't, uh, who don't love me, uh, they take that as a sign of weakness and take more. See, guys, this is what happens when you do things in your own power instead of in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to live out this command uh, is impossible without, without the Holy Spirit of God living within you. But when he tells us to love our enemies, I realize that our, love has, our world has no idea what love is. What it, it has no idea what it means. Here, here We're going to look at this from a, a different perspective. This is what love is not. This is what Jesus is not talking about in this passage. Okay, uh, Love is not, number one, permissive. It's not permissive. Love, loving someone does not mean you let them do whatever they want, whenever they want it. And to say no is being unloving. That is not love. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Okay? I, I was sitting in my office. My office is right up there. And, and I heard someone yelling and screaming profanities outside my office window. All right? And that's our property out in the little, little courtyard back there and everything. So someone was on our property and was, was obviously having a bad day. And, uh, and so I, I come downstairs and I go out the back there. And it was a homeless guy that, that we see a lot. Um, he's known to be very ugly, and sometimes it's gotten violent. Um, and so I, I called the Nicholsville Police Department and said, hey, we've got, hey, Jimmy's here again. And, and after I called that, they said, well, we're on our way. And so I went up to him, and I said, Jimmy, Jimmy, you, you, you can't live here. He, 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 had, he was obviously going to be there for the night. He had a blanket. He had a pizza and some two liters, and he was setting up shop he, out in that little court in between the children's building and us and the main building. And I said, Jimmy, you, you can't. You can't stay here. This is not a place to stay. And he looked at me. He goes, you're a pastor. You're supposed to help people, not be a expletive, 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 expletive. Locker room language that, uh, that I grew up with. And, and I said, Jimmy, don't give me that crap, okay? There is a shelter 100 yards that way. They have showers. They have beds. They've got food. They've got everything you need. This is not a solution. You can't stay here. And, and he, he, then right then the, the, the Nicksville Police Department pulled up and he ran off. Turns out that he had a warrant for him. He had assaulted another person that had asked him to leave his property. He had a knife on him and everything. So my question is this. Was I being unloving to tell him he could not stay on our property? Was that unloving? No, it was not unloving. See, lo- love doesn't let, mean letting people do whatever they want, Okay. That is not what love is. Take a look at San Francisco. There was, at one point, there was only one tent. And they said, okay, well, let's do the loving thing. Let's let this person stay here. Then all of a sudden, there was another one, and another, and another, and another. Now people are using the bathroom on the streets. It's unsanitary. There's violence, drugs, everything like that. See, guys, that is not loving. That is not God's will. So um, love, loving does not mean being permissive. Um, I've worked with tons of people in, that, that are struggling with addiction, and one thing, 100% of the people that have, that have come out of, out of addiction into recovery have told me they could not be an addict without an enabler. Okay? 100% of the people told me they had someone enabling them. If they had, did not have someone enabling them, they would have sought recovery much quicker or not become an addict at all. And you know who the number one culprit is, ladies? It's usually the mom. Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying that that is what the, the people who are in recovery have told me. It's usually the mom or a grandmom who is enabled in the name of being a loving, of paying their bills, making excuses for them, bailing them out, giving them money. 
Okay, had that not happened, they would not have gone as far into addiction as they did. Love is not permissive. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Second thing, love is not a feeling. Our culture thinks that love is a feeling, all right? There are people who believe that love is simply how you feel. Maybe they think it's the feeling of being romantically turned on or, or, or just a feeling of warmth or someone. That's what Hollywood and social media tells us. Interestingly enough, the people that are the worst at love, the people whose relationships are a disaster, people whose families are a mess are the ones telling our young people what love is. Okay, it's the feeling um, that... that, that uh, it's not. See, guys, feelings are great servants, but they're terrible masters. They're terrible leaders. And it's easy to feel loving one day and not feel loving the next day. That is, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. And the third thing it's not, it's not a substitute for truth. Jesus never let his love for people trump his commitment to truth. All right, so if you guys will clue in here on my little graph here, there is a continuum I want to show you guys. A continuum. And over here on this extreme are people who are guided by principle. And over here on this other extreme are people who are guided by people. These people on this extreme are people that are guided by principles. That's what motivates them. Truth. That's what's, that's what's important to these people. Over here are, are on the other end of the team are people who just love people, who are very people-oriented. And you say, well, Jesus would want us to be here. No, no, he wouldn't. See, both extremes are out of balance. People that are so principle-oriented that they don't love people are dangerous. And people that are so people-oriented that they don't have any principles are dangerous. The best illustration of this I've ever seen was a professor of mine he, he, he was teaching us, he said, men tend to be over here, tend to, not all, but tend to be here, and women tend to be here, okay? It's, it's maybe how we're socialized, I don't know, maybe it's genetic, maybe it's, so, but the plain simple fact is that if you got 100 guys in a room, they would tend towards this area, and the women would tend towards this area, and he said, let me give you an illustration of this, he said, my wife and I went to a play downtown, um, <clears throat> downtown in the city they were living in. And the newspaper, let's tell you how long ago, the newspaper article said free parking. All right? So they pull up in there 15 minutes before the, the play starts, and, and he's about to go in, and the parking attendant says, oh, no, no, it's 50 cents to park here. And the guy who's driving says, no, look here in the, in the paper. It says free parking for this event, free parking. And the guy goes, I don't care what it says, you're not getting in here without paying 50 cents. You understand? And the guy goes, my professor goes, I understand completely. <laughs> Turns off the car, folds his hands, and blocks the entrance to the parking lot. Okay, and there, there are cars backed up, all wanting to get in, and they're honking. You know, what are you doing? And, and, uh, and he's like, we're not going anywhere. We're not paying 50 cents when it says free parking. And his wife in the passenger side is trying to crawl under the dashboard because she, she says, just pay him the 50 cents. People are staring. See what her orientation was, was people. And he goes, gentlemen, we're not paying the 50 cents. It's not the 50 cents. It's the principal, exactly. See, that he's all the way over here. 
Okay, finally the guy says, come on, go, go, go. And the, and the professor starts the engine and he goes, and, and his wife is like, you idiot. You know, and, and, and everything. but anyway, so look out for people that are so people-oriented that they have no principles, and look out for people that are so principle-oriented that they have no concern for people. See, Jesus wants us to be here in the middle. Jesus had a ton of love for people, but he never sacrificed truth for his love for people. He also never sacrificed his love for people for truth. He was here in the middle. And all of us, because we're sin-filled and we've all fallen short, are somewhere out of balance here, okay? This is where Jesus wants us to be. See, love is not a sacrifice, a substitute for truth, Okay, it's not permissive, it's not a feeling, it's not a substitute for truth. Love is not these things. So what is love? <laughs> Baby, you don't hurt me. I'm sorry. Uh, well, it's interesting that you ask because in order to understand what Jesus is saying, there are, are, there's a very different understanding of love in Scripture than we have in our English language. See, I, I've told this before, but, but uh, our English language lets us down when it comes to love because I use the same word, love, that I, uh, for my wife, that I do to describe uh, a cheeseburger. I love that cheeseburger. I love my wife. It's, it's, this, it's the same word. Hopefully, they're very, very different things. But English language only has one word for love. But the Bible has four words for love, right? And so when, when the, it's a very exact language. So the first word for love in the Bible is philos. Everybody say philos. Philos is where we get the, the word Philadelphia. Philos. It's the kind of love that, that, that uh, grows up between two people committed to the same thing. This is the kind of love that is intended for marriage. It's philos. With two husband and wife moving towards God, closer together. It's the glue that holds things together. You see people that are, that are committed to a team or committed to a project or have things in common. That's philos, love, okay? The second uh, type of love is estorge. Everybody say estorge. Storge. Storge is the kind of love you have for your family. This is the kind of love that you have for a brother or a sister or a, or a cousin. Uh, it's family love, okay? It's a very different than philos, all right? The third is eros. Eros is, is, is the uh, word that we get erotic from. This is sexual love that is talked about in, in Scripture. <clears throat> and the fourth is agape. Agape is the kind of love that is unconditional. It's based on you, not the person. Uh, it's the kind of love where you want what is best for the other person, regardless of the cost to you. That, that is, what, is what you, when you want what is best for the other. That is agape, okay? And the word that, that Jesus says here in this, in this passage is agape. We are to agape our enemies. Hopefully, we're not supposed to eros our enemies. Hopefully, uh, estorge is not the way because they're not on our family. Well, they may be actually in your family. Maybe your greatest enemies are in your family. But then, and, and obviously we're not committed to the same things, so philos is not, no, it is agape. And so I was, I was doing a study of this when Jesus says, agape your enemies. It does not mean feel loving towards them. It does not mean let them do whatever they want. It does not mean that we, 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 we just throw aside truth. No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is we want what is best for our enemies because of who we are, not because of who they are. We want what is best for them. And what is best is determined by God. We want what God wants for them. That's what Jesus means when he says, love your enemies. You are to want what is best for them according to God. 
That does not mean you do everything they say. It doesn't mean that you don't even fight them if you need to. If they, self-defense is, is a legitimate biblical thing. It means you want what is best for them according to God. So Jesus gives us seven agape commands that are incredibly difficult to live out. This is the part I don't like because this is where the conviction hits. And I'm just going to have to put trust in God that his ways are best. All right? The first, the first of, of Jesus' seven agape commands is this. It says, agape, your enemies. Right? I sat down this week and asked myself, who, is, who do I view as my enemy? I'm going to get real personal here, guys. Because I don't like to think in terms of enemies. I, I, I really don't. That's not the way I'm wired. I don't, I don't look at, at, at things as us and them, or, or, or me and everyone else. I, I, don't, I don't look at things like that. So I had to really rack my brain. Who in the world would I consider my enemies? Well, I came up with two people, my first thought, two groups of people. Who do I really think are enemies? And I thought to myself, the first group would be people that are radical gender theory advocates that are trying to convince children that they're not boys, they're not girls, that they are, that God somehow made a mistake when they created them, that they can choose their gender, that they can choose their pronouns, that, that and, and if, if an adult wants to go do that, that's one thing, but people that are pushing that on children, trying to get them to be on pu- puberty blockers and, and trying to get them surgeries and, and, and everything that will, that will mutilate them and will, will sterilize them for life and, and everything, this, this, this evil agenda for our children. I, I see those people, I see the people pushing that as my enemy, you guys. They're completely against what God has for these children. Um, I believe them to be wrong. Uh, the people that are, are pushing Pride Month in schools and People who are, are, are doing drag queen story hour in libraries and, and basically exposing our children to things they should never be exposed to. I, I, I cannot see them as anything other than my enemy. I, I, I can't because they're doing things that are hurting the most vulnerable among us. Um, and, um, uh, you know, when, when, when you see that, those, I would say they rise to the top when I consider who my enemy would be. And second, I, w- I would say that people in government who are making millions or, or hundreds of millions of dollars destroying our, comp- destroying our country, and while they're profiting off of it by open borders and allowing drugs and criminals and who knows what else into this country, um, sitting in their gated communities, you know, sipping wine and, and, and making millions while the rest of us have to deal with the fallout of, of their corruption, and, and there doesn't seem to be any recourse for them. It doesn't seem like they ever face any justice at all. Nothing ever happens to them. Happens to us, but doesn't happen to them. You know, they've overinflated our currency so that grocery prices are sky high, and they've put us $34 trillion in debt as a country and sent hundreds of billions of dollars overseas to fund a war that's unwinnable and everybody knows it. Weaponized the FBI and the DOJ against parents who dare to show up at, at, uh, uh, at, at, at school board meetings to protest what's going on in their schools. They're, they're, they're weaponized against people who pray peacefully outside of abortion clinics. And they've pushed Marxism in our schools in the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are the people, guys, that I view as my enemies. And the thing is, is that I am now obligated by Scripture to love them, to do good to them, to wish what is best for them according to God. That is why this message is so difficult, because I cannot see anything but evil 
in them in my own in my own um, in in my own in own flesh. And Jesus says, "Do good to those who hate you." See, guys, there's no common ground to be found between these people and me. There's no there's no coming together and understanding. There there isn't. And so this is why this message is so difficult, because I cannot set aside the command of Jesus because of my own personal stuff. And so when Jesus says to agape my enemies, guys, that is who I am thinking about. And probably you are too. Now, it may not be some faceless person on, in the media. It may be a person at work that you're dealing with. That, or maybe your husband or your wife that you see as your enemy. Or an ex that has treated you badly. Or a, uh, a, a, a person at work that has treated you unfairly. Whoever it is, we are to agape them. We are to love them as God loves them. We are to want what is best for them according to what God says. That's the first command of Jesus. And we cannot set that aside. We cannot set that aside because it feels bad. The second command that Jesus gives us is this, to bless those who curse you. Okay? To bless those who curse you. Now, uh, this right here is what Jesus is talking about. In, in, when, when I'm uh, teaching families, especially when I, when I counsel families in crisis, there's a thing called the crazy cycle, okay? The crazy cycle. And it looks like this. It doesn't matter who starts it. It's usually a combination of the two. But this is what the crazy cycle looks like. Um, he says something unloving. Because the wife feels unloved, she responds with something disrespectful. Because he feels disrespected, he responds with something unloving. And because she feels unloved, she responds with something disrespectful. And so on and so forth. This is called the crazy cycle. And this may be some of your homes. All right? Unloving, disrespectful, unloving, respectful because a woman's largest need is to be loved and man's biggest need is for respect. All right? So this crazy cycle just goes on. The crazy cycle is exhausting. It will destroy your home. It, 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 so this right here is, we find this in homes. What Jesus is talking about is a similar crazy cycle. It doesn't matter who starts it. You are, someone curses you. And the normal thing would be you would respond cursing them. And they respond. All right? And the cycle just continues and continues and continues. Now, what Jesus is telling us to do is this. He is saying, I want you to stop the crazy cycle. I want you to bless. That's what I want you to do. When you're cursed, I want you to stop the crazy cycle. I want you to bless. What happens if they curse? You bless. No matter how many times you're cursed, you bless. You're cursed, you bless. You're cursed, you bless. And you say, well, Jesus, how long do I have to do this? How long do I have to keep blessing someone who's cursing me? And Jesus said, until they stop. 
So what we tell husbands and wives in the crazy cycle right here is whoever is most mature needs to stop it. He says, if the husband is the one who's most mature, when, when she says something disrespectful, he has to respond with something loving. And then she responds to something disrespectful, he has to say something loving. How long? Until the cycle breaks. If the wife is the one who's most mature, then she was, when he says something unloving, she, was, she breaks the cycle with something respectful. How long? How long do I have to do that? Until the cycle breaks. What Scripture tells us is this, Proverbs 26, 20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. So what you're doing here, when, you, when Jesus says, when you're cursed, you bless, you're separating wood from the fire. And what happens, all you Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, what happens when you remove wood from a fire? What happens to the fire? It goes out, exactly. Okay? This may take a while. But Jesus is saying, I want you to stop the crazy cycle because it's getting you nowhere. How many of you all have ever won an insulting argument? You never won. You can't win that. All you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. So Jesus says, when you are cursed, you bless. I had a chance to do this on Nicholasville Road. Somebody cut me off. That was a curse. And I blessed them. I said, God bless you. You know what? They were up and out of my, out of my life in 10 seconds. It was wonderful. Most of the time on 27, I have a road rage problem. I, I, I stay off of Nicholasville Road. I, I'm, uh, y'all, I, it is awful. But... Um, I got a chance to bless them. I got a chance to do this. Guys, I'm telling you, that's what it is. The third thing Jesus tells us to do is this, is to turn the other cheek. He says to turn the other cheek. Someone slaps you on one, turn the other cheek also. Now, as a kid who grew up on a street full of older boys, I was the youngest and I was the fattest. I was, I was overweight. I was made fun of relentlessly as a result of it. There were 11 boys on my street. I was the youngest. And... Um, and so uh, this whole turn in the cheek thing didn't work for me, y'all, as a boy. Um, if I did that, all they do is I'd invite more trouble, more bullying, more teasing. If I turned the other cheek, the only thing to turn the other cheek did was invite more bullying. Now, it is important to note that this is not what Jesus wants for you. He does not want you to be a victim. That is not what this scripture says. I've seen it used so inappropriately by Christian parents, by teachers, by coaches. It is not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying roll out the mat, be a victim your whole life because we know what that does to people. We know what happens to people that are bullied constantly, that are made fun of constantly. We know what, that ha- what happens to people and that is not God's will. So what is he saying here, okay? Jesus is saying this when you are in the position of power, when you are bigger and stronger than the person, when, when you are in a position of authority and someone insults you or some, and you have the ability to nuke them back to the Stone Age and you don't, okay? When you are the stronger one, the Bible's clear that self-defense when threatened is a legitimate course of action and it condones it. And I, I've seen, like I said, I've seen what happens when parents tell their children, well, just walk away, go get an adult. All that does is invite more bullying. And that's not what Jesus wants for you. Okay, it's not what God wants for you. It's not what He's saying here. Okay, um, probably the the, the greatest uh, 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 illustration of this. I was a sophomore, and I had my mullet and everything. 
And yeah, and we were on our way back. On a, we, we played, uh, we played a, a team in Louisville, and we were on the bus back. And we had lost, and, and not a, many of us were in a good mood, particularly our six foot four, 220 pound goalkeeper, big old German guy named Matt Fitz. Monster. He held the soccer ball like this. He, he, could, he, could, you know, he could throw it. He was, he was all state, phenomenal goalkeeper, big, big, big guy. And I was like, you know, 5'10, 150 something. And he outweighed me by 70 pounds and, and, and was six, seven inches taller than me. And so, thing about Matt Fitz was he had the biggest old man earlobes you've ever seen. Like they were down to here. And so I was sitting behind him and I was kind of bored. We didn't have cell phones back then. And I was like, And he didn't do anything. I was like, cool. Like this. And he didn't even turn around. And he goes, Kibler, if you do that one more time, I'm going to rip your head off. He didn't even turn around. I was like, could he have destroyed, could he have nuked me back to Sony? Yeah, that's what turning the other cheek is, you all. When you are in a position of power and you are in a position of authority, you are to turn the other cheek. It is not so that you will be a doormat. Jesus does not want you to be a doormat. Like I said, we know what happens to that. That is not being loving. That is not what he is talking about here. Okay? Um, the fourth one. This is, this is a tough. This is the fourth, fourth command Jesus gives us about loving our enemies. It says, give more than the thief demands. He says, if someone takes your cloak, give him your shirt also. Wow. Really, what, what, why would Jesus tell us that? Why would Jesus say, uh, if someone sues you for $100,000, give them $200,000? That's what he's saying here. Why would Jesus tell us to do that? Well, the only thing that I can figure out is this right here, is that you are releasing the things that God says you'll never hold on to anyway. Let him have it. It's not yours anyway. It's not my money. It's not my shirt. It's not my cloak. It's all God's. And if a person takes it, okay. Well, whose job is it to provide a new? It's God's job to provide for me, right? See, guys, that's why the greatest amount of faith you'll ever have is doing this, okay? Basically, Jesus is saying, hold your possessions so lightly that if someone takes it, just, just let him have it because it's not yours anyway. It's, it's, it, that that, that $100,000, that's not mine. It's God's. That This shirt, it's not mine. It's God's. This cloak, it's not mine. It's God's. In other words, we are supposed to have so much faith in God that even our enemies can take our stuff and not even bother us at all. The greatest illustration of this I, I, I can think of, we, we go down to uh, Hilton Head uh, for vacation every year, and we stay in a furnished condo. Okay, uh, the, the silverware, the the uh, chairs, the beds, the TV, it's all there, okay? Now, you can imagine if a thief shows up and says, listen, I'm taking the TV, I'm taking the silverware, I'm taking the chairs, I'm taking the couch. Knock yourself out. It's not even mine. Knock yourself out. The owner will have something to say about that, but you got to take it up with him. Come on in. I'll even help you carry it out, bro. You know, it's not even mine. It's furnished. This stuff belongs to the owner of this condo, not me. Here, here you go. I, here, I'll help you. Come on out. Guys, that is the way Jesus wants us to be with our stuff. And that is why he commands this. 
okay? Hold your possessions lightly. Jesus tells us to have our resources available to our enemies. We're to lend without expectation of repayment. We're supposed to do that. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Uh, And the sixth thing, the sixth command is this, is to treat others the way we want to be treated. We're supposed to treat our enemies the way we want to be treated, okay? So while I do not condone my enemies' uh, views or their goals, I I, I will not uh, treat them any differently than I want to be treated. Um, I, I in Psalm 109, I read this, um, and this was a prayer of King David, man after God's own heart. Listen to this prayer. Listen to what he wants for his enemies. Listen to this, okay? <clears throat> Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy, talking to God. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. This is David praying to God. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. And it goes on and on and on. This is David's prayer for one of his enemies. Now, what was David not going to do? David was saying, I'm not going to do any of this. I'm not going to seize all he has. Remember, he's king. I'm not going to seize all he has. I'm not going to kill him so his children are fatherless, his wife's a widow. I'm not going to, see, I'm not going to uh, do anything. Lord, I am stepping back. I refuse to do that. I'm going to ask you to do justice. I'm going to ask you for these things, knowing full well, God, that you will never do a wrong thing. You can tell me no, God, and I'm fine with that, but I'm asking you to do this, but I will not raise a hand against him because that's not my job. It's your job. Therefore, God, I hate this person with every fiber of my being, and I will not raise a hand against him because it is not my place. God, I'm putting my trust in you to do this. So guys, that's what it means to love your enemies. That's what it means. It means I'm stepping back. I refuse to take revenge. I refuse to destroy your life. I I refuse to destroy you professionally. I I refuse to to do any of this stuff. Even though I want it to happen, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask God to do it because God will always do what is right. But I will not do it. I I will not play God. And that's what it means to treat others as we want to be treated. The golden rule is never set aside. So what I'm telling you, Catholic Christian Church, is this. I want you to have enough faith to treat your enemies as God treats his. I want you to have enough faith in God to treat your enemies the way that God treats his. How does God treat his enemies? He gives them life. He gives them breath. He gives them a roof over their head. He gives them food. Okay? That is what he is currently doing right now. A Christian was walking along a path in the countryside when he noticed a scorpion. Scorpions aren't nice people. Scorpion. Struggling to get out of swirling water, falling into a brook, and the water was swirling around, and all of the scorpion's attempts to get out of the water were in vain. And the Christian knelt down and, began, and, and, and reached in to help the scorpion, but every time he tried, the scorpion would, would, would try to hit him with his tail. Hit him with his tail. Well, a friend passing by said to the Christian, don't you realize that is in the nature of a scorpion to attack and to sting. Yes, said the Christian, but it is my nature 
to save and rescue? Why should I change my nature solely because the scorpion refuses to? Why should I stop living as Christ wants me to because another person refuses to? Does God bless those who hate him? Yes. Gives them life, gives them oxygen in their lungs. Gives food to the tables, roofs over their heads. He also gives the free gift of salvation of Jesus to all who would repent and call in his name, and therefore I must do that as well. Uh, this will take the most faith you'll ever be called to demonstrate, you all. Trusting that God will deal with them. Trusting God, God's ways are better than ours. Trusting that Jesus wasn't wrong or, or didn't understand America in 2024 when he told us to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. When he was preaching this to this audience, do you know what the situation was? The Jewish people were under occupancy by Rome. The soldiers could accuse them falsely. They could steal their property. They could abuse them. There was no courts. There was no recourse. Nothing. They were oppressed people, and Jesus was telling them to love them. We in America are not experiencing anything like that. So my question is, Catholic Christian Church, did Jesus mean when he said, agape your enemies? Did he mean the radical activists trying to influence our children into ungodly ways? Yes. That's who we're supposed to love. Do you mean the politicians, the rich men north of Richmond who are making millions off of corruption and destroying country? Yes, he did. That's exactly who he was talking about. We do not enable, allow, or roll over in the face of what is wrong. We never have and we never will. But our enemies are their ideas, not them. Scripture tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the, sat- the satanic powers of a dark realm. So let's make sure we're fighting the real enemy people. The person next to you is not your enemy. The person at work is not your enemy. The person at school is not your enemy. The person that is causing you all kinds of problems is not the enemy. The, the, the radical activists, they're not our enemy. It's not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is Satan. And it's time we started fighting the real enemy. Remember that when we love our enemies, we're wanting what is best for them as God determines what is best, not them. So what is God's will? First, God wants all to be saved. Does he want your enemy to be saved? Yes, he does. He, wants, he does not want your enemy going to hell. Second, to leave their sin and live holy lives that glorify God. That is what God's will is. That is what is best for them. And so when we love our enemies, we are to want that for them. You all, these seven teachings that Jesus has given us are the most difficult ones in Scripture. And I pray that you all will do a better job of it, of living that out, than I am, and I would ask for you all to pray for me because, guys, I wrestled with this passage all week, and it, I, am, I am having trouble. I'm having trouble with it because, guys, our enemies are strong, and, and the, the, the agenda is just is very powerful, and it is very difficult for me to feel loving towards people that are pushing that. So I need you all to pray for me so that I can live out this teaching of Jesus too. I hope that you all will do better than me um, and, I, and I, I pray that this week the Holy Spirit will show you where and when and how to love your enemies because we cannot set aside the scriptures because we don't happen to like what it says. This is the word of God, and we have to live it out. It is, it, it, we don't have the option. So go and be better than your pastor, please. God bless you. We'll see you, see you next Sunday.